cliffcentral.com. Yes, you are on uh, cliffcentral.com on a Thursday morning. It is time for the Burning Platform, which comes to you at this time every week. And we get into some of the big stories in the news. We talk a little bit about what's going on here in South Africa, what's going on in the international world, what you need to think about, what you need to know about, what you need to perhaps worry about. And what you really don't have to worry about, hopefully, too. Uh, Pum is just being, before we, we start the burning platform, getting into all this nostalgia around post boxes and things. One of the comments someone left here is uh, about their bank. Reisebeck says, our banks have done away with checks. When last did you get a check? Oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> yes. I actually still, I, 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 don't, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember. I may have still been, I don't think... In my business, I have. I think it was like when I used to, when I was in when I was at film school. When I was at film school, I used to do stuff with student wise, right? Mm-hmm. So I used to like do um, all of these promotions and all of that crazy stuff. And then on Fridays, it was amazing the student wise thing because then if you've done like work mm-hmm. during this week, next week Friday. You can go to the student wise uh, reception and pick up your check. Oh wow! Of all, <laughs> that was a thing. Remember, people used to get their salaries by check. Pick up your check, mm. and then that exit there by Auckland Park, because student wise is in Auckland Park. Yeah, and that exit there by Auckland Park is packed with students coming to cash their checks on the Friday. Unbelievable! Do you remember when? <laughs> I mean, so, so. But I do have a checkbook. I do have a checkbook I, for the yeah, business. I think I've got one somewhere. Because, because there are still people who, when you are applying to be a supplier or on their database or whatever, still want a cancelled check <laughs> as a proof of bank details. Wow. You know that you can get a letter. There are still some archaic systems out there mining. Um, <laughs> mining. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's oh, mining. Who else will ask for a cancelled check as a proof of bank? So that's why I had a checkbook. <laughs> well, there we go. I mean, I, I think I've got a checkbook somewhere, but don't ask me where it is. It's, it's, it's probably I've, – I've never used it. I don't think – oh, the last time I used a check was also when I was a student. I don't think people use those anymore. Um, these days, it's kind of even, – even if people use EFTs, you know, you think, oh, but you could probably just – you probably geo do a geo payment if you're close to me, whatever on my yes. phone. Now I use Apple Pay at the shops. It's great. I love this. This is the stuff. I, I still haven't. So after all of that, even um, Lebang's stories of getting oh, yeah, uh, fraud scammed. Mm. I I I must say I'm a little reluctant with that Apple Pay. I love it. Simple, I'm super. a little like no. It's this. I, it's the getting scammed uh, for me. Are you so. joking? Double click. Then it does a little face scan. Then I just I paid for dinner last night with uh, with Apple Pay. It was amazing. It's fantastic. I love it. All right, let's get into the burning platform for this morning. Um, as I mentioned, Sihle uh, Big Daddy Gobese is our uh, guest, as well as JJ Cornish. Let's uh, welcome JJ to the show. He's here already. Hello, JJ Cornish. How are you, sir? Bonjour. I'm I'm very well indeed. Bon année to both of you. Thank you. Yes. Hello. As your years, I'll, I'll write you. I was going to write you a Christmas check on my Bank of Disneyland checkbook. Is that uh, – would you accept it? <laughs> oh, come on. You must remember – I'll accept it and frame it. You must remember those days of checks and, and having to use I, these, these archaic means of getting money from 
personality. Person. I do. I can. I can remember that imperious. And the bigger the company, <laughs> uh, the more likely they were to actually, as Pumi said, make you go round to mm-hmm. collect your check. You know, you do mm-hmm. a speaking gig for BMW. You'd have to drive around four days later to pick up your check. Right. I mean, it's really quite strange. Very colonial, huh? Eh? Oh. <laughs> yeah, come to the master to get your pay in a little brown envelope. Yes, oh. come along, yeah. Well, luckily we have moved on. Um, we, we haven't really moved on in some other ways, and some of the stories in the news make me think we're still stuck in the 90s, especially when you look at places, JJ, like Mozambique, which is, you know, right next door to us. Mozambique, in many ways, is is a real... A sad story because the people of that country have had this interminable list of just unending uh, challenge, deprivation, poverty. The government have run the place into the ground. And it used to be, once upon a time, one of those places with enormous promise. It was sexy. I mean, we spoke to Dan Moyani the other day who used to – uh, live in Maputo. He went there during the struggle. He was in exile. He met his wife there. He worked in radio there. And he told me these stories about what a sexy place it used to be. You know, like there was just stuff going on all the time. It was almost like like a bit, in my mind, I imagine a bit like Cuba, you know, in the 1960s, <laughs> where where people were, were doing these, these amazing and interesting things. And before we get Sitle on the show, I think, you know, let's give you the spotlight for as long as we, as we possibly can. What's happening in Mozambique? But every time I hear well, stories you, there, it's just bad news. It's terrorists. It's, you know, the poorest country in Africa, those kinds of stories. Well, you know, that, I was the first Mulungu journalist, South African journalist allowed back into Mozambique really? after the, yeah, after the revolution. 1976, conference in support hmm. of the peoples of Zimbabwe. Uh, Namibia, and they said a Zania at the time. I yes. remember it, it was just a fantastic. I went, in fact, I went as a UN correspondent and uh, quite amazing. Uh, you know, being vegetarian now for 50 years, it was fewer years at that point, but I lived on, uh, uh, the odd omelette, some salads and cashew nuts for the two weeks I was there. Quite amazing country. And I've been back several times. You know, I went back, uh, Having returned to South Africa in the mid eighties, I went back there. It was before the Nkomati Accord, and that and the first time I ever went to Mozambique, incidentally, I was nine years old on a school camp. It's when I started smoking uh, those little <laughs> cheroots. <laughs> really it ruined me. But but yeah, so then I went back. I remember the marketplace. I can remember it as a kid. It was sort of four blocks in size. The marketplace then mid eighties had. One table which had some lemons on it. That is the state of it. I had to go uh, to Mozambique. I had to take my own food because the hotels didn't have food. Wow. It, it really was in a desperate hmm. state. A guy I met there, American-accented man, turned out to be the coach for the Mozambique national basketball team. I was training for comrades at the time, so we used to go running every day from the hotel, and we'd run out about 3Ks. And there would be a soldier. You can go no further. The next day we'd run out. It was two and a half Ks. Same soldier can go no further. The next day it would be two Ks. You can't go any further. You know, and, 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 uh, freely, uh, Renamo was moving in on the capital. Uh, so having gone back now, uh, several times, certainly after Nkomati, which was quite a remarkable piece of diplomacy by South Africa at the time, I'm glad to see Mozambique getting better, certainly Maputo getting better and better. 
But what has happened up in Cabo Delgado, it's this enormously long country, you know, goes all the way up. Mm. And that Cabo Delgado, that is where the problem is. It would have turned this basket case country, really was the poorest country on the planet at one point, into something of a regional power with the gas, the liquid petroleum gas that was being taken out or going to be exploited Mm. by Total Energy and, and, you know, the French company. Now, they've pulled out because of the jihadis taking over. Now, that's all about estrangement and, uh, 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 you know, feeling marginalized and, and then links with the jihadis that caused them to do terrible things like walking into villages and beheading people yeah, and so on. Well, well, that now, uh, uh, it, 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 the uh, SADC, uh, peacekeeping force that's come in and they had their mandate renewed at the SADC, uh, summit earlier this month, uh, with Rwanda, also helping out. We wondered why, but now we see that the Rwandan uh, um, operation there, very interesting, the the head of Total is uh, going to, Patrick Puyan is going to Rwanda and the the $20 million a month that they're spending getting uh, stability or trying to bring stability to Mozambique, they Total is going to repay them, I think, by helping electricity generation in Rwanda. I don't know mm-hmm. what Total will do for the rest of or for the SADC countries who are also paying an inordinate amount of money and not getting uh, anything like a commensurate mm-hmm. amount of security there. So it's not a it's not a pleasant story what is happening in uh, Cabo Delgado. Uh, but, and, you know, the United Nations wants to set up a peacekeeping force, but they're, they're, that's being resisted in, in the United Nations. They're saying, you know, you're spending so much on Africa already. Why would you spend more in Mozambique where we're not even sure of getting any kind of result? So it's, it's a depressing state of affairs. Sure. And to add to that depression, the rainy season that we're living in now, uh, they've already had eight people dead from the rains. You know, every year at this time, yeah, the South African Monsoon. army helicopters have to fly over and pull people out of trees and things like that. That's going to happen yet again. So, um, you know, a, a, a sad, sad, heartbreaking story uh, for us on our, on our eastern neighbor. Well, what about the story I'm hearing about bald men being the target of a whole lot of uh, superstitious criminals and their clients? What's this all about? Why are they going after bald men, JJ? This is very strange. You know, they beheaded a man, a bald man, and they had a Malian candidate or client client Mm -hmm. for this bald head. The client disappeared, so the beheaders, the killers, in other words, just uh, dispensed of the of the head in a in a in a village. My God! And it turns out that people in Mozambique, in that part of Mozambique, believe that bald men have gold in their heads. <laughs> Those, you know, and we can laugh and we can laugh at that I'm kind sorry. of <laughs> misapprehension. I just want you to see that I'm not quite bald. So I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> gold in my head but you know it's that same terrible terrible situation with people selling in africa particularly selling body parts that they believe bring good luck or prowess in love making or that sort of thing it's the same situation that faces gold. people suffering albinism yes. in in tanzania and, and countries it's yeah. really 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 something that needs to be rooted out but bald men have gold in their heads so whenever I walk up to somebody and, and pat them on the head or give them a kiss on the pate, 
It's because I'm hoping to get something 14 carat a little later on, maybe, huh? Wow. Oh, JJ, you've got gold of a different kind in your head. <laughs> oh, oh poor me. You uh, say the nicest things. <laughs> well, I'm... But it is a big business. I mean, body parts, even in mm. countries as sophisticated, sophisticated as Nigeria, it is a very big business because there's lots of people who have lots of varying different um, belief systems that require mm, such. I don't know what uh, what body part they would get of mine that's of any value. Although, you know, I suppose I suppose for the sort of wrinkly artwork might be interesting, you know, if you could put it up somewhere. But otherwise, I'd advise the body snatchers to leave me alone. Bald men's heads are filled with gold. I've never heard on an, in all the history of the burning platformer, in fact, uh, in all the history of this show, and every other show I've ever done, that bald men's heads are filled with gold, and that's just fantastic. You know, I've told you, I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Invite me on more often. Mm. <laughs> Look at what we learn, um, JJ. We we do pay very little attention, and perhaps they deserve to have as little attention paid to them as we give them to the AU. But is that is that whole party still going? I mean, when Kwasazana was there, we paid a little bit more attention to it. Now she's back in. You know, the, the National Coronavirus Command Council, for a little while she had her, 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 her time in the spotlight. But now it appears she's disappeared even from that. What are we doing in the AU? What's going on with the AU at the moment? Does anyone care? And when is the next summit, et cetera, et cetera? Summit's coming up right now. And that summit is in Addis Ababa. That's the headquarters Oof. of the AU. But Ethiopia in is Addis Ababa where the- Ethiopia's a mess at the moment, right? Absolutely. Thanks to Abi Ahmed, the so-called no, no, Nobel Peace Prize laureate who turns on the Tigrayan people. I mean, the Tigrayan people are so interesting. They used to, they're not the majority group, the Amara mm. are, but the, the fact is that uh, they had a disproportionate amount of political power. And so as they got sort of marginalized by uh, Abi Ahmed, they turned and, and rebelled. And it was on November the 4th, last year, that they began their war. And uh, it's something that is of great, great concern. And the way the Ethiopians have responded to it and the, the repression they have used, I have to say that Tigrayans not entirely blameless in what they've been doing. Sure. But one would have thought that they'd move the African Union summit uh, somewhere else just to sort of show displeasure with what uh, Abi Ahmed is doing, but they're having it. And, and that summit is going to talk about the unfair treatment of Africans, certainly in the COVID uh, uh, pandemic, you know, the fact that, well, at the moment, you know that the vaccination rate for COVID, uh, against COVID in Africa, 7%. 7%. And yet... It, Antonio... Antonio and yet we do... We're Antonio doing, Guterres... We're sorry. doing okay. I mean, and yet, despite that very low vaccination rate, um, Africa, which was predicted to be a real uh, shit show when it came to people getting coronavirus and dying from it, you know, because our hospitals aren't prepared as well and we don't have the resources of many first world countries and... Obviously, we have this immunocompromised population. Turns out we didn't get hit as hard as everybody expected. That's the truth of it. Not right? at all. Oh. And, you know, we were sitting with, you know, on tenterhooks waiting for it to happen. Yeah. Uh, and certainly I, I, I don't want to see Africans not being vaccinated. Antonio Guterres said, you know, compare that to my country, which is hardly a, a, a wealthy country. 
we are 90% vaccinated, that being Portugal, you know. Mm-hmm. But the, you, you make the point there that the Africans, you know, the first wave, second wave, third wave, what do we do now, fifth wave, mm. and Africans still haven't shown the figures. Now, do we believe that Omicron is the last of the variants that hit us? I certainly don't. Uh, and, and I think I know as much or can pr- pr- pronounce as loudly on that as any uh, politician mm. and sadly now as any doctor because you know the doctors have been reduced to the sort of ranks of politicians and that you mm. can't believe a word they say they yeah. prepared to lie or yeah. make things up yeah. so anyway here we... are they also going to talk about so, so i mean I, I understand that they want to talk about the unfair treatment of africa and africans as a whole and we saw it i mean with the closing down of borders and closing down flights and not allowing people in and out of african countries and redlining and all of that kind of stuff but they're also going to talk about the unfair treatment of africans by african leaders Mm -hmm. because ah well that that was my second point you took the words (laughs) right out of my mouth as as meatloaf used to say uh you know, eight countries and South Africa being one of them was were blacklisted for a while uh, mm-hmm. or locked down by 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 fellow Africans. So you can bet that Cyril Ramaphosa is going to have to have something to say about that. It's all Southern African countries uh, and and the countries that uh, you know hit us. Well, when you see somebody like Egypt, Morocco, that wasn't that surprising. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, but but the the, the fact is. Uh, there was the, the so-called African solidarity didn't make its way, uh, ma- make itself known at that point. You know, the African Union, uh, I remember the organization of African unity as a young, young journalist trying desperately to get to cover those conferences, never allowed in. And then when the African Union came 2002, it changed the, the face of a multilateral politics in Africa, now, JJ, rightly so. You know, as I recall, it was, it... It was largely uh, Thabo Mbeki and Obasanjo of Nigeria who 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 forwarded that change from the OAU to the AU, right? Well, Muammar Gaddafi would have said it's him. Okay. Well, <laughs> and people, you said, oh, okay, Muammar, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they used the to do that. The brother leader. <laughs> the brother leader, yeah. Uh, and uh, he, what an interesting man. I interviewed him. Uh, you know, he used to speak, I think I told you this, he used to speak in a very quiet voice like this. Everybody had to lean in and listen to him. Mm. <laughs> strange guy. Very strange guy. When I looked at him for the first time, I realized Muammar Gaddafi wore his sunglasses on the inside of his eyes. Uh, <laughs> very strange individual. Now, there, there we had 2002, we had the African Union that was supposed to no longer be this coterie, this club of African leaders who never uh, bad-mouthed one another. Mm-hmm. This was where they would never let another uh, Rwanda happen. They would never let another genocide occur when human rights violations or war crimes were committed, then uh, they would speak out against one another. And, and, and then and we watched watch them watch Zimbabwe hmm. and Sudan. Well, to some extent, and, you know, and that is what, what the African Union is doing, for example, uh, against coups in West Africa, which have increased uh, exponentially. They're getting back to the stage. Remember when Africa was the kind of coup country? Then yeah. it, uh, everything descended or, or ascended into some order. It's descending in West Africa now well, into a situation where we've had these coups and the African Union, it's not even on the, their agenda or doesn't oh seem God. to be high on their agenda. They're talking about climate change. Oh. Very interestingly, 
We are the victims in climate change, the smallest polluters, but the greatest victims. But we want, as Africans, not only to not be victims, but we want to make a positive impact on fighting climate change. So that will be an interesting one. And financing of the African Union. You know, the, the many African countries that don't even pay their dues. Yeah, of course not. And so, you know, with a lot of the financing we're expecting and, from and, abroad, and, and when you and isn't get it, somebody to isn't it pick always, up the check from a... Isn't it always those yeah. countries that don't pay their dues that are the loudest and have the most to say? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that, that certainly, certainly is the case. So, so it will be an interesting summit. But I'm, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't go along, uh, uh, travel J- to Ethiopia at this point. No, JJ. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's and also get it's, into a COVID comet and go and, and take my chances there. I don't think so. No, but also, I mean, there the, the very few flights that are going via Ethiopia. In fact, it's disrupted because Ethiopian Airlines is one of the better airlines in Africa, and they're constantly winning awards, and many people fly with them. And but you can't do that now because you're going to go into a war zone um you mentioned west africa and i heard naledi pando who's our minister of international relations and cooperation she had some statement to make about burkina faso this week what's happening in there what's the what's the update on that well there was a coup on monday yeah now we have uh mark rosh uh kabore and he came to power in 2015 and 2014 they overthrew uh, the the uh, Blaise Campore. Now, a former member of Campore's guard, he uh, uh, Paul Henri Dam- Damiba, mm. he has taken over. Damiba is a sort of publicity shy individual. Uh, he hasn't given an interview, hasn't addressed the nation. We don't know where Campore is at this time, which is rather sad. Mm-hmm. The United States, which pays two thirds of uh, Burkina Faso's. Uh, military uh, 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 budget, they're saying what is what on earth is happening. Uh, of <laughs> course, uh, the African Union has condemned it. ECOWAS, the Economic Community of West African States, has uh, excluded the country for the time being. They've red-carded them. The fact is, though, uh, you know, this, the, the, this is following coups in uh, Sudan, in Guinea, in Mali, in Chad, but those West African countries, Guinea, Mali, Chad, uh, with Burkina Faso, uh, it, it's, 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 a, it's a parlous state of affairs. And uh, the, the, sadly, the people, the reason why there was a coup was um, the soldiers believed that Kabore uh, was not doing enough to fight the jihadis. Now, there is that jihadi onslaught across the whole of the Sahel, that piece of land between North Africa and the Sahara Desert. Now, that, that, that group of countries all suffering very bad uh, Islamist attacks, and, and they believe Kabore wasn't taking it seriously enough. So when you go into the streets of Burkina Faso at the moment, people are saying, well, it wasn't a coup. The army had to do it, uh, and the army obviously loving that, that fact, where they, just as they do in Mali, mm-hmm. in Mali where they said they would, they'd uh, deposed uh, uh, the, 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 well, the guy who, who, who died, Ibrahim Bubaka Keita, uh, died uh, last week, sadly. Uh, but they, that, uh, they, they replaced him, said they would have elections within a short space of time. Now they're saying five years. And the region is saying, hey, that's not good enough. You've got to be quicker than that. We wait to see what uh, uh, Damiba is going to do about restoring them. He's got an organization called the Patriotic Movement for Safeguarding and Restoration. So if you can get a decent T-shirt slogan, you can run a country. And uh, he's proving wow. that at this point. We wait to Will see what's has, happening. 
and with absolutely no interference from the African Union. Well, you know, the African Union has a policy of red carding countries that um, have unconstitutional changes of government. And, uh, you know, Egypt, for example, Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, he suffered this when when he uh, uh, threw out uh, the uh, Musa, uh, Mohamed Morsi. You know, I, I attended, I, I observed those elections in which Morsi, after the fall of, of the former president, uh, was elected, actually duly elected. But Abdel Fattah al-Sisi threw, overthrew him. But they back in. Uh, uh, back in power now, uh, and and uh, uh, was taken power, and he's a very very uh, hard line president. The United States, at one point, you know, the United States aid to Egypt was greater than its aid to Africa, the rest of Africa combined. It's a key ally in the Middle East, which is of course a key place for the for the uh, Americans, and they've now got a big arms deal with Egypt. Uh, two and a half billion dollar arms deal that they they haven't yet signed, and and the the human rights activists within the uh, Joe Biden uh, administration are saying, "Don't do it. You can't." So, and they're already holding back money from last year's uh, um, arms that they were supposed to apply to 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 give to Egypt, saying, "You know, prove that your human rights." They've got sixty thousand political prisoners in <laughs> Egypt at this time. Oh, wow. Uh, that's a lot of people. So, JJ, I, I, do, I do want us to move back to South Africa. I, I know we've, we've been waiting for Sitle, and, and uh, Piwe is trying to get hold of Sitle and Gobese, but we must move on. The burning platform often for people just gives a, a little snapshot of what's happening in South Africa, but we've spent a, a good few minutes looking at Africa, which is obviously your area of specialization. I just want to ask both you and Pumi a couple of uh, opinions on some of the big stories. First of all, Business Tech came out with an interesting story about which – Jobs are disappearing in South Africa. So we've lost a net loss of 600,000 jobs between 2019 and now. That's an enormous amount, um, especially in a country where we can't afford more people to go into unemployment. So 600,000 jobs. By the way, that's not as a result of, of COVID, but it's as a result of lockdowns. So there's a very important distinction there. It includes, among others, jobs like travel attendants, restaurant service workers, shop salespeople, demonstrators. It's understandable these jobs have declined over the past two years, given how the lockdowns have impacted retail and hospitality. That's according to PricewaterhouseCoopers. Stats South Africa shows that inflation-adjusted restaurant sales were nearly 25% below pre-pandemic levels. I would have thought it would be more. But here are the jobs, yeah. that, have, here are the jobs that we've lost, and some of them are semi-skilled, some of them are skilled. So... Uh, the domestic workers, we've mm-hmm. lost 15.5% of our domestic workers since uh, lockdowns came into operation. Sales and services, minus 21.5%. Craft and related trade, down 20%. Uh, plant and machine operators, down 11.3%. Skilled agriculture, down 20%. Then in the semi-skilled category, technicians, managers, and professionals, all down some 18% if you put them together. And the skilled total in South Africa has dropped by 7.6%. So most of the jobs we've lost are in the unskilled and semi-skilled areas. How do we get these back? And what are your opinions, Pumi and, and JJ, on that story? I think it's quite worrying. JJ, you go first. 
Well, you, you know, and we're not even here talking about the jobs lost because of technology mm. in, in my industry. You know, I mean, uh, uh, newspapers, for example, uh, you, there used to be, uh, you, you know, the, the works operation in a newspaper was massive, outnumbered the, the journalists or uh, by, by sort of a factor of four or three. And, 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 and they've all disappeared now. So that, and I've just seen that in my, in my, in my, in my own industry. The fact is, those jobs will or should begin to come back. And if you see the kind of more hard-nosed, uh, uh, you know, free-ranging uh, economists, they would say, well, uh, you know, if a restaurant goes now, if there was a call for it, when the economy starts to come back, there will be another restaurant. Somebody else will come up with an idea. And and the indefatigable uh, ability of, of mankind to find up uh, uh, gaps and and to to seek out new opportunities will make its way known. So we might find we get better restaurants, better uh, entertainment, better leisure facilities. Well, one hopes that is the case, and that they will take up some of those semi-skilled and skilled jobs. Mm. But for the time being, those people, and and certainly in the in the more sophisticated or the wealthier countries, they can be. Are compensated and kept alive, but in our country, where where social services are really, really, really hard strained, mm-hmm. uh, not to say uh, preyed upon by corrupt officials, yeah. uh, uh, the, the, you know, we don't have the ability. Uh, you, you know, if I've had to let somebody go in my position, I've had to let them go because I simply don't have the money to pay them. Right. There's nothing more I can do. And then I've got to use that money to try and survive. If in, then in turn I get turned upon, what happens, you know? What is our unemployment? It exceeds 40%. It really is astronomical, unacceptably high by any standards. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have uh, anything except a belief in the capacity of man and the, in and basic economics uh, to, to, to eventually find a way. But there will be enormous suffering before then. Well, I have no doubt of that. Absolutely already happening. Pums, what are your feelings on this? No, it's, you know, I, I mean, I think that one of the things that – we all suffering from in South Africa is also just a baseline thinking. So when you hear this report and it says over the past two years, the first thought that comes to our head is it's as a result of the lockdowns or what happened during COVID. But actually this was, we've been on this trajectory for a very long mm-hmm. time. If you look at the kind of skills that are also being talked about and the kind of skills that are being jobs, I mean, that are being lost. It is also a function of our economy. Our economy, guys, has not been growing. Our economy for a very long time was static and now it has been declining. There's talk of, you know, we just had interest rate hikes. There's talk of more hikes because of our inflation targeting. And it's because of our economics as a country. You know, our policy is such that it doesn't give much of an opportunity. The things that, so if people lose their jobs, of course they're going to let go of their, of their domestic worker. And of course they're not going to be spending at restaurants as much. So then the restaurant business is also going to be going down. And that's what we have. So it's easy to say it's because of a result of the lockdowns, but actually it's because of our economy as a whole. And it's going to be like this for a long time because of the way that our economic policy and our government doesn't have ideas of how to stimulate growth in the economy yeah. and how to ch- 
turn things around there. And so the the pain is going to be with us for, for well, a while. I, still. I, I, I went on a rant on uh, Monday morning because Cyril was on after having his NEC meeting. And he was talking about, you know, he's, he's still got these like 1970s, you know, Soviet Russian ideas of central planning and how if we can just forge a new, he calls it a social compact. And he went on about this for hours and hours at the NEC meeting. Apparently they were all gathered together to figure out a new way to plan the economy better. I mean, these are people who've mismanaged every possible part of the economy into the ground. We're a country, JJ, you spoke earlier about climate change. We're a country that just can't afford to even have those conversations. We're so dependent on the energy we don't have and that we can only get at this point from coal, that it's not even, it's a pipe dream for us to even be involved in discussions around climate change. We have so much to still do, and the people who are meant to be doing it are the ones least equipped to be able to handle it. They're implementing and talking through ideas that are 50, 60 years old and have been proven to do nothing but drive an economy into the ground. So, Pumi, when the president talks about a social compact and a way to involve even small businesses, and he says, you know, spaza shops and township businesses and communities, involve them in a government discussion, that's not going to help business. That's going to retard business. The best thing they can do at this point is probably get out of the way, don't you think? You know, that's my view. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, we, we, we can't afford more tax. Nope. We can't afford, you know, we can't, and they're talking about, I think they were also talking about the fact that even the VAT might be increased because of the tax base having shrunk yeah. well, we've so got, much. We've got it's, a budget coming up, right? All that that's going to do, but all that that does is it, it restrains further. So the people who do have money don't spend the money as much. And it's yeah. just. Well, it's also, it's also going to make us revert more to a cash economy. I mean, people in the townships have been used to this for years where you just don't, you don't pay tax because what you do is you do a deal where it's cash or you trade this with that person and then the government have no way to trace it. And that's all they're going to find. If they keep on squeezing, people will find other ways of releasing the pressure. Um, and, and there's no amount of, of left-wing uh, central planning that can ever result in a positive thing here. I just want to ask you guys about something else that's related to this. The average take-home pay in South Africa at the start of 2022, do you know how much it is? Average nominal take-home pay. No, I don't. Um, I don't, no. Well, this is among people, obviously, who are employed, so we can discount some half of our country, sadly, in all of this. But the average recorded nominal take-home pay, which now sits at 15,542 rand per month, obviously, that's up 7% from November 2021. So it's gone up. It's jumped up quite a lot. But real take-home pay is at 12,463 rand. So year on year, in nominal terms, they say, it remains unchanged. In real terms, South African workers are poorer than they were a year ago, with take-home pay declining by 5.2%. So lots of interesting well, numbers coming out here. Absolutely. And kind of, and the talk about increasing personal tax mm -hmm. and VAT mm -hmm. means that, that that money will contract even further. You know, yeah. and, and and the reason we're poorer today is because because of our services, our social services also not working, is you're paying for a medical aid because right. the hospitals aren't working. You're paying for private security because the police aren't working. You're pay, you, you have to pay for a car because the public transport system's not working. Right. So all of those things are, are, what it is, are what burdens the taxpayer, are what burdens the 
everyday South Africans who are earning an income. Well, you know, uh, I lived in I lived in Britain in the in the seventies, where we had a Labour government, and they had a line on soaking the rich. And I, and I just get that sense of deja vu here now. God knows I'm not rich. Uh, you know, I've, I, I had to sell two of my stretch limos, you know, just to, to get, just the two. Sorry, I'm having, I'm having this moment of fantasy. Excuse me. Um, but you know, but at the moment I have an address. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about post boxes, but I have an address so that they can get at me. I need electricity so they can get at me and cut it off. And they're going to put that electricity mm-hmm. up another 20% and another 20%. Yep. And that is because the fat cats running it are paying themselves huge salaries. And uh, it's just hugely inefficient. We mm-hmm. used to be the power in the in the region that exported electricity and managed to uh, attract investment because of our well-priced electricity. Now we can't even provide it to ourselves because it has been so mismanaged and so corrupted. But the thing is, they will keep coming at me because I have to pay in order to keep my standards going. Now, the thing is, uh, as long as they do that, uh, I'll have to survive here. But I couldn't recommend to anyone, and you know, when we talk about our, our investment, foreign investment or direct foreign investment, has to is absolutely vital for our survival. We cannot grow this economy, we as South Africans alone, fast enough and large enough to maintain the social services that we have to provide. Mm. We need investors. But with what is happening, the mismanagement, the corruption, which has become endemic, we can't in- attract those investors. So I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm in a very depressed state. And I think what is particularly galling is to see the report after report that comes out that keeps telling us the things that we know. So a day or so ago, the SIU report on the PPE uh, investigations came out. Right? So you, yep. you get this report, comes out and you look at those infographics. I, I, I couldn't even read the report and you know it's my favorite thing. I just looked at the infographics and they were enough to kind of like make me wonder like, you know, because you're just like these guys. And at the same time, you know, coupled with uh, the news announcements of even more billions coming into the coffers from the World Bank. So, mm-hmm. again, that is money that we are going to have to pay back because it's not a grant, it's a loan. And and then to see that it's squandered, it really makes you think you've got to, well, we've got to you know, at least vote differently. At least they're spending, they're spending it on the right things. For example, I mean, here's a good uh, story for today. South Africa's mega licensed card printing machine is back. Uh, you know, Fikile Mbalula uh, told us the other day, and in fact, I was meant to go for my car license renewal because it's now already been expired for over a year. And, you know, they're not going to forgive me forever. But it's not my fault because I have been trying. And apparently the card machine, the one that we had, we had one machine. I mean, this I, I, I'm going to say it again because it sounds ridiculous. We've got millions of people who have cars in this country. Millions of them who are driving around illegally like me at the moment because we can't get driver's license cards. There was one machine that was broken. And it took them about three months to even realize it was broken. Another three months to have it fixed. Well, Fikil Mbalula pulled out all the stops yesterday. Bells and whistles, smoke and mirrors, a big stage show because he loves those. It's all about him. He announced that South Africa's driver's license card machine is back. 
He put out a video you know, on social media of him visiting the driver's license card account, and there they found driver's license cards. And, but you know what conversation we're not having, which and for this, I you know, mainstream media, some of the things that they kind of gloss over. Mm. And I think, JJ, you talk about how the, the newsrooms have become diminished. It is totally a, a, a consequence of the fact that there are less people in those newsrooms and there's definitely less gold in the heads of some of the people in oh, the newsroom. Sure. Right. Is as the card machine is broken and Gareth, you and I are driving around with expired licenses mm-hmm. through no fault of our own. If you get into a car accident, do you know what your insurance is going to say to you? Yeah. Yeah. Expired exactly. license. Now whose fault is and that? And that conversation has like not been had, not mm-hmm. by anyone. And and I think you know all of those little things are. I I, I love the fact that you speak about the mainstream media, Pumi. What is the mainstream media? You know the newspaper uh, the, that I worked on once, the Pretoria News, used to sell <laughs> forty thousand copies when I was there. Forty thousand. Now uh, they, they sell. 1,600 copies a day. I don't know how they survived. But, you know, the newspaper has has now got a smaller circulation than than my tweet site. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't see what – and, I mean, that's that's a a tragic example. But what was the star? Once a quarter of a million down to something like 17,000. There's no such thing as the mainstream media anymore, in my view. JJ, we still have a vast number of South Africans who rely on radio, for example. Um, You know, the the biggest stations are still Ukwazi, Mflobowenene, those kinds of stations. A lot of people, particularly older people, are not as au with technology in South African rural areas, they still are dependent on these things. But it's and also there's still many people parading themselves as journalists yeah, and yeah, yeah. editors. This is it. It's it's more that well, they, yeah. that they demand credibility for being legacy media, and that they poo poo and nonsense uh, the online sites, which frankly are probably doing a better job in every which way. I mean, it's it's why. You know, so many of the of the reputable people have gone online now, rather than work for television, radio, or newspapers, which frankly are they're all hugely um, compromised. I mean, we know you mentioned the Pretoria News, part of the IOL group, right? <laughs> and I mean, we know how yeah. that we know how that's we been, know exactly what's happened there. Been bastardized oh. by Iqbal Serve, and we know that every one of the TV channels in South Africa has questionable links to either, you know, this political interest, that political party these people who are ex caders or whatever the case may be, and they all tow a political line. So you, you've got to take it from whence it comes and, and not believe everything you're told by those media organizations. But what Pumi is referring to, and maybe you do have a, an opinion on this, is the quality of the journalists and the quality of the, of the reporters, because there are very few of those left, at these institutions. They're borrowing credibility from each other at a diminishing and diminishing rate. You know, for eight years, I taught journalists at the uh, Chwani University of Technology. Mm-hmm. They wanted to call themselves the Chwani Institute of Technology, Tits. but realized that that wouldn't look very good on paper. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I was I was quite amazed. I, 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 I was sort of dragooned into it. I spoke to somebody one day. We were in the Sahara together, and he said that he, he'd lectured at, at the Chwani University. And I said, gosh, that's something. I'd love to put something back into the craft. Yeah. And uh, he called me two weeks after coming home and said, were you serious about that? And I, and I couldn't 
tell him I wasn't. So I said, yes. He said, well, I've been posted abroad. Could you take my class from next week? And there began a, a long stint of doing it. I was quite amazed. I mean, I thought that I would be challenged and uh, it would be a very stimulating experience. I'm married to a teacher, uh, so I knew that I could be didactic and bully people, you know, with with abandon. Uh, but it was a, a remarkable experience. And to this day, I have a number of my former students. I remember one of them, huge individual, bumped me over with a television camera and said, out of the way. And then looked down at who was lying there and said, sir, they were obliged to call me sir in those days. <laughs> so, I, so I trained journalists and it was, a, as I say, a very edifying experience. But I can count on my two hands the number, are, and that's in eight years of classes, who okay. came through and amounted to anything. Mm. So we have, but I mean, I'm not saying that that actually ended up becoming editors because some of them would not appear on my two hands. They suddenly found themselves, you know, they, they compromised themselves. They were uh, looked after and looked after the right people. And so uh, we don't have, we're not served by a good media here. And, and the situation during apartheid was that we did have, we did have a proper media that had courage and uh, to, to fight against an unjust system. Today, I'm sad to say we just don't have the numbers and, 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 and not only because of the juniorization of newsrooms and the, uh, parlor state of, of, uh, training these journalists, but the fact that everybody with a computer or even a cell phone now sends out information and, uh, uh and has become a journalist themselves have no idea of checking facts, no idea of, uh, checking sources. They simply put out the information. Well, and here we have somebody like Donald Trump can stand up and talk about fake news, mm -hmm. which, you know, God bless him, Richard Nixon was never able to do because he was up against real journalists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you have fake journalists, you will get fake news and the politicians will get away with everything. Well, Onkhopotse points out here, journalists who find all their stories, they just spend the whole day on Twitter. That's what they do. And then they just republish bullshit that they see on Twitter. And that's the main source for many of these supposed and in inverted commas journalists. And uh, it, it, it is a paltry state of affairs. It really is. Guys, one other story, and this really relates also to your area of expertise, uh, JJ. Zimbabwe has warned of threats to its citizens based in South Africa. Pumi, I know this is something you care about too. And it drives me up the wall when we start seeing people fomenting this xenophobic nonsense. And you even saw it the other day with Kenny Kunene and Gayton McKenzie saying that their patriotic alliance will take every single immigrant, and mostly they meant illegal, but I don't think they said it, and deport them back to, in inverted commas, where they come from. Um, the, this kind of language is incendiary. It reminds me of the sort of stuff that you would hear from the Nazis about the Jews in the 1930s. You know, they don't belong here. Who are they? Even the, the cockroach stuff that we heard in Rwanda and Burundi during that ugly civil war and that ugly genocide. So your comments on, first of all, what's going on? And, and, and also it comes from the ANC too because they're desperate now. They see themselves in decline. We see a lot of these politicians going for the obvious low-hanging fruit. There's always going to be the racial stuff. But this xenophobic stuff is particularly ugly, pernicious, nefarious, and we see it happening. I mean, even Herman Mashaba, you know, he, he doesn't hold any quarter for these illegal, illegal immigrants. 50% or so of the economy of Gauteng is powered by 
immigrants of various stripes, people from all over the world, but also people from Africa. And when Zimbabwe has to issue a warning to its own citizens who are living here, we're doing something very, very wrong. Pumi, you, you go first. Nelson, Nelson, Chamis, Nelson Chamisa, is it? Mm. Um, MDC leader, had a Twitter space with 3,000 people the other night mm-hmm. because of the, the threats. And I was just, and I, I, am, I remain astounded at the fact that, and I feel like we're going to come full circle back to the AU, astounded at the fact that what we see happening today in South Africa is a direct result mm-hmm. of the AU's kind of being complicit with the the killing, essentially, of Zimbabwe. And now Zimbabwe is right. a failed state. Right. And, and we as the neighbor are picking up slack. And we are failing as a state. And that creates, it, and everybody knows this, right? Is when, you are, when you are under pressure, what tends to happen is you, you then exert the pressure on the person who who has less power than the weakest and what you're seeing and and what you're seeing is you're seeing south africans who are frustrated because of economic circumstances because of lack of access and and that is what they are exerting on foreign nationals in south africa and predominantly zimbabweans you and then you say you get it sanctioned right you get it sanctioned by julius malema bullying restaurant owners because of who do they have and kind of flip-flopping about what they're saying. Gaten McKenzie is a blatant criminal. I don't know why he has the kind of microphone that he has in Mm -hmm. South Africa. All of that is, and it's that's why I'm saying it's a full circle, right, of a failure of African leadership and a failure of African leaders holding each other accountable. Absolutely. And it's always the poorest who suffer. You're not allowed to call it uh, xenophobia, you know. You're supposed to call it something else, criminality. Why can't you call it xenophobia? Well, you know, I've, I've been in this business a long, long time, and, and, and the, certainly the first two-thirds of it were in uh, dealing with apartheid, fighting apartheid. Mm-hmm. And the fact is we have now a system uh, we transformed into a system of government with people that relied on the kindness of strangers, we had to live. We had to send our exiles into countries uh, that to look after them, from our neighbouring Botswana all the way up to uh, Algeria and and other countries. We all through Africa, we had South Africans reliant on the kindness, certainly of fellow Africans, and then of others uh, in 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 Europe and and the the Americas. So uh, now to have uh, politicians turn on the very people that once provided us mm-hmm. refuge and succor is unacceptable. It embarrasses the ANC government beyond the singing of it. And that's why they won't call it what it is, which is xenophobia. And, uh, you know, I think when you look at any country in trouble, uh, certainly the kind of economic m- malaise that we have, it's right, as Pumi says, that you have the people turn on 
those who have less and blame. Uh, it's easy to blame uh, losing a job on a foreigner getting it. Sure. That's really not the truth. Uh, so we don't know. It, it, it is a fact. We don't know how many Zimbabweans we have in this country right now. We don't know it because the system hasn't allowed us to to count them. The system hasn't yeah, been but- efficient enough to do it. I was I was covering a Zimbabwe election and then got booted out, you know, and unceremoniously booted out after being held for some time. I, I went over the border. I was quite exhausted. I went and stayed on a farm just across the border, a sort of bed and breakfast farm. Yeah. And the farmer took me out the next morning and said, look here, and showed me that something like 2,000 people had come across his farm the night before, having wow. crossed the Limpopo River waded across which you can do and that was just one day so we don't know how many zimbabweans there are and there's no doubt that they do to some extent drain the social services that are not enough for the existing south africans so that's true but the fact is many of them come and our economy relies on heavily just as i spoke about relying on uh, foreign investment they rely on foreign workers we don't have enough workers to people this economy if it's when it's working so uh, you know some better system has to be maintained and i think the government has to face up to the fact that it must fight well xenophobia and call it by its name it, and fight it accordingly you know if you're going to fight What's, xenophobia if you're going to make public statements um certainly don't make them xenophobic but this is on us if, if we don't have borders that are impermeable we have no right to complain about the fact that people will migrate across those borders. As far as I can tell, our border posts are mere administrative and usually sites for bribery. Um, they're, they're mere administrative gateways, but most people aren't using them. Most people who can't afford to, to bribe and pay their way across are just going under fences and over fences and through fences and through rivers and doing what they've always done throughout human history. So this fake border that makes us a sovereign nation is a is a joke and and the government that's meant to be policing it is responsible for that not the zimbabweans you're crossing the real criminality that does need to be called out is where the hell is your president where is yeah, your so where is your police system where is when and then when you have your home affairs minister pandering to kind of this populist view of we're coming for you mm-hmm. it's like what the hell, what is going on? But you know, that's my you, that's my one moment today of saying, where is your president, guys? Yeah, well, there'll be one of those in every show. But JJ, for a Zimbabwean national who's in South Africa, there really isn't any recourse uh, if you know someone steals from them in their shack that they've got in Deep Slurk, for example. There's no recourse for them if someone comes in there and murders them in the night. You know, we find. Uh, these stories on the on the fourteenth, fifteenth page of 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 a of a site, you have to click through about twenty five different articles before you get to these about how many people are just you know murdered and and because they're foreign nationals, nothing ever happens. Um, there is no way that these people are being treated like people should be treated, especially in a country which says that we respect human rights. Uh, we we clearly are just the biggest hypocrites in the world.
Well, there's no doubt about it. And when you get a country, I mean, the number of times we've had meetings of African leaders saying, this is terrible, what is happening in South Africa? Well, you know, the, the cheap argument is, well, why do you have a system that's driving your people to live in our country? Uh, you know, why don't you correct your own system? Why and, is and the all, Zimbabwean all... government, why is the Zimbabwean government, so when Nelson Chabiso has his, like, 3,000 people space of people in South Africa, Zimbabweans in South Africa and how they are threatened, great for him. But actually, he is the opposition leader. He should be working hard for his country to be a functioning country so that the people can be back in their hometown. Nobody wants to be living in a like cemetery in South Africa because they have nowhere else to live. They want to be home as well, but they have failed the people too. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when you look at the issue of Nigeria, well, I mean, you've got to be very careful when you talk about it. But Nigerians who come here, uh, the propensity of them is not uh, you know, out of economic necessity. It's out of economic wish. They want a better life here. Sure. And they think that they can do it and, 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 and get away with a lot of uh, criminality and so on. This is the kind of uh, uh, story they get from, from uh, Nigeria. But when, uh, story, when the they truth. act against them, when we act against them, the Nigerians say, you know, you, you can't, uh, you, 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 there's, it's, it's xenophobia against Nigerians. Well, to some extent, that's absolutely true. And I'd say we must call it by its proper name. But uh, we, the, the, the point you make, I think, is the most opposite. If you don't properly protect your borders, then you have to accept uh, that you're going to have uh, real problems, drain on so- social services, criminality and other things are going to happen as foreigners flood in. Yeah, well, I just thought it's it's worth mentioning because it seems to me that there are also a lot of political voices that are doing exactly the opposite of what they should be doing to help make the situation better. Let's also remember that if you push a population which has swelled to the size that it has of foreign nationals in this country, if you push them to the point where they have to defend themselves, uh, you know, claw and tooth um, at the barrel of a gun, just for the basic rights to live in a place, to earn a, a living, uh, they're eventually going to fight back. And there are a lot more of them than there have ever been. Don't expect these people to just be docile forever. If you stoke up the fire, expect a result. And that result might be a very ugly one. But we also have to accept and understand that this is a complex situation. It's not just a one-sided Affair. You know, it's not one thing that if you fix this one thing, if you fix the border, if you fix the, <laughs> the fences, if you fix the defense force, you're going to be able to control this. If we have to understand that there are a myriad of linked problems that lead us to where we are. And they are on both sides of the fence. They are in South Africa and they are in the country of origin. Bubby, it's interesting you go straight to the defense force. You don't even <laughs> you don't even go wire the police. No, no, no one cares for that. Guys, um, Babazi says so. According to JJ's comment earlier, we owe fellow Africans forever for exile. Every country has a responsibility to employ the workforce they produce. I hate when celebrities and politicians pretend there is no problem in South Africa. Well, I, I think Babazi, you know, th- th- there's some of that, that that we've already agreed with, and there's there's some of that which is also. I think a very good point. You know, we, we, how much of this 
hangover from the apartheid era do we have to keep on carrying the can for? And we've also been supplying free electricity to some of these countries for a very long time. Isn't that a way to pay them back? And aren't we sorted now? Isn't that debt paid? Uh, this idea that you know, because historically the ANC was helped out, that that's the best reason for us to be nice to foreigners seems to uh, miss the point that just because they're people, we should be nice to them, not because they're foreigners mm, or South Africans we or they were to, our friends you, once you or anything else. The, the, the reality of it, though, is it's not just it's an interdependence. Yeah. All of us here on the continent, we are dependent on each other. Yes. For, for various reasons, including markets, <laughs> for yeah, crying out loud. Exactly. South Africa is a, is a country of about 60 million people. If as a business, even if as a business you want to grow and be a big business, you want to be able to transact on other, co- on other countries in, in other countries on the continent. Yay! The English guys, the bundles are depleting. (laughs) (laughs) You you want to be able to transact because that's what it is. We could be, all of us, the whole continent could be that much more prosperous Mm -hmm. if we were able to keep good governance in each of our countries, but also to be able to trade with each other. Then we all prosper. Correct. You're sounding desperately like Cyril Ramaphosa now, Pumi. You know that, thing. (laughs) Don't tell her that. All right. Nice ideas. But, uh, mm. you know, it's it is so much more complex than that, as you said, too. Well, yeah, it's very complex. I'm sorry we have to call an end to this, and I'm glad I, I got to vent a little bit about the uh, the illegal immigrants and the kinds of predations <laughs> that they're subjected to daily, because it really drives me crazy. And I do think that we are such hypocrites. We sit and talk about human rights. We want to be on the, the UN Security Council. We want to be in the AU. We want to talk in all these talk shops. When it comes to actually acting, we just completely disregard our own rules. And it's do as I also, say, not we as want I to, do. we want to have a really nice helper from Zimbabwe, oh, but yeah. we don't want Zimbabweans in our country. Correct. <laughs> yeah. It's bloody outrageous. Anyway, uh, JJ, it's always great to have you on the show, and thank you for your time today. I'm sorry that we didn't get to speak to Sitle. Apparently, he had load shedding in his area. Ironic that we should have spoken about that earlier, too. But, JJ, terrific that we got to have you. And we got to speak to you for as long as we did this morning. It was really absolutely terrific, as it always is. And uh, your insights on, on Africa and the, 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 the various interplays between these countries, the things that are going on on the continent, the big news stories, invaluable. So great to have you. Guys, we didn't you. even talk about AFCON. I Love know, you, JJ. It was wonderful yeah. having you. Lovely to be with you. <laughs> Thank you, JJ. Thank you, Pumi. And we will be back with the, with the Burning Platform next week, same time, same place. Have a good day. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. Cliffcentral.com